Mm-hmm. I understand that mm-hmm. when something goes down, I need to honor that moment and honor that space and just let whatever feelings I'm having transpire and move through. And the more that I allow that process to happen and allow that to happen earlier, I've noticed with me at least, is the quicker that I'm able to recover and rebound and get on to the next thing. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Sure. My name is Mita Karaman. I'm originally from New York. My name of my business is Adventurely. And I think there was one more question you had. I apologize. Was, was there one more? Yeah, just where are you currently located as well, please? Um, at this particular moment, I'm in New York, uh, unexpectedly, uh, just because I had to come back here last minute. Um, I've been in Playa del Carmen the past month. Uh, I'll be going back there again this weekend, Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Fabulous. So tell us, like, what has your travel story been like? Um, did you come from a family that travels? Um, how has travel played a part in your life? You know, I'll be completely honest with you. It wasn't playing much of a role in my life up until maybe 2015. I had done some travel. My, my parents are both from the Caribbean. They were both immigrants. My mom's from Jamaica. My dad's from Grenada. So as a child, there were a couple times that I had the chance to go visit both islands. But as I progressed into adulthood, I pursued a career path in law. So I just ended up studying a lot and having a lot of responsibilities uh, in my early 20s and just getting sort of focused with that, that I didn't really have much time or opportunity to travel. So it wasn't until there were a couple of events that were actually rooted in trauma and sadness that sort of was the genesis for my current relationship with travel and how I ended up with Adventurely. I see. So, wow, that's really deep. So you, was that, was the, were your studies something that your parents encouraged you to do or was that just something as you're, you know, young and trying to figure out life, you were like, I need to do this in order to X, Y, Z. Well, I'll be honest with you. My mom was very much a feminist. And my mother actually was a fashion model when she first uh, started off her career in the U.S. And apparently her experience with it was that she just realized she wanted to be on the other side of the desk when it came to those decisions for productions and events. And she just naturally just got really tired of the nonsense of the the show business entertainment and modeling. And she decided to go pursue an MBA. So we're talking about a black woman going from MBA immigrant in the, in the eighties, which was sort of like, okay, you're going to do your thing. So when she was taking care of me, her whole thing was like, hey, you know, looks are temporary. Focus on your mind. Develop your mind. That's going to be your, your, your diamond that you need to nurture. So it was always, you know, 
do something that's, you know, uh, can take your, your life to a next level by focusing on your mind and your, and, and what you can do. So I, I just always felt that she saw a lot of potential in me in terms of what I could achieve in terms of education. And she always, you know, raised me to believe that if I wanted to do anything, I can and, and encourage me to be entrepreneurial. And I just, I wanted to aspire also to do something that my family would be proud of me. You know, they went through so much trouble to move to the United States under the premise of the American dream. And I, I just really wanted to pursue a career that also made them proud. Uh, at the time, I originally tried to pursue a career as a doctor, but, you know, a few biology classes in college made me realize that it ain't for me. So... <laughs> Um, I loved writing and reading, and I, I also liked being an advocate for people, especially people who are overlooked. And so as a result, and then I also, we, we were living in the Bronx. I was born and raised in the Bronx, but I had the privilege of being accepted into a prestigious prep school in Manhattan. Uh, and so my life as a young child was just very interesting. I was seeing what was going on in my neighborhood in the Bronx, with some of the local kids who didn't have access to some of these opportunities that I was going to in my Upper East Side prep school. And I was like, wow, I want to, and I'm seeing kids, you know, getting in trouble, some of them getting mixed up with the law for, you know, really stupid reasons. And I was like, I want to be an advocate. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure which way I was thinking maybe criminal law, but I was like, I think maybe lawyer, being a lawyer is the way for me to go. So I, I started off as a lawyer. That's really, that's really like uh, such a commitment to go from wanting to be a doctor to wanting to be a lawyer <laughs> at such a young age. I think it's a thing for a lot of uh, foreign, foreign kids, kids with foreign parents. It's like, okay, you know that your fam risked everything to be here and they want you to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And some of that is good, but some of that <laughs> is like not so great. It's like, hey, can't I just be, you know... Um, a fine artist or whatever you want. It's not like they were like putting pressure on me, but I know that they were working hard for me and, and I was grateful for that. And I wanted to step up to that, that vision that they had for me. So it was okay. What was it like growing up for you um, in terms of coming from these different cultures, but maybe identifying as American for your culture? I guess it's kind of a third culture kid a little bit. Not really. <laughs> I mean, it, it took me it took me a while to sort of really understand myself because um, in America I'm a black woman. Around the world I'm a black woman. First and foremost, it's the first thing that anybody sees. I am a black woman. Um, culturally, I'm living in America. In my family, they're from two Caribbean countries. So there was just a lot of these things that you need to pull together. And then I'm living in the Bronx, which is you know, historically, um, you know, uh, a working class or, um, uh, you know, a working class neighborhood um, that many people might consider to be less privileged than other cities around, around the country. But then going to this very exclusive Manhattan Upper East Side prep school where Liv Tyler Steven Tyler's daughter from Aerosmith was actually one of my classmates. So it was a lot of things that I was juggling at a, at a young age with regard to race and culture um, and, and economics and all these things. But 
I just also at the same time always just tried to be somebody who was genuine. And even from a young age, I would be like, okay, well, I may not have the answers, but I have the questions and I know that all these things are going on at the same time. And maybe I don't have the answer of how to reconcile them, but um, I feel very comfortable now. <laughs> I mean, I, I have for some time now, but at a young age, it was, it was a lot of things. I knew that I had to really understand how to bring these things together. So I don't know if that answers your question. Absolutely. No, because it, it, it informs mostly like where you came from, all the things that you were taking in. But like, did you, did you have that awareness at the time that there were these very different worlds that you were coexisting in or did that come later? Cause it seems like you're very self-aware now. Well, I had to be. So, um, you know, when, okay, before, so I started this prep school for middle school and high school, but prior to that, I was going to another private school in Westchester, New York, which is, you know, a wealthy, um, wealthy, I guess you can say location in New York City, mostly white people, not too many black people lived in Westchester at the time. Um, so, and the, and the black community that I did come across in Westchester were mostly African-Americans. So as a young girl, you know, if any of my black girlfriends invited me to their house for a party, it would be different food. Collard, like I didn't grow up with collard greens. We grew up with kalaloo, things like that. We didn't, <laughs> we had jerk chicken, but we mostly had, uh, we had fried chicken, but we mostly had jerk chicken, you know, things like that. Um, so th those were some of the things that I was noticing, the difference between, okay, this is what it's like being a black Afro-Caribbean from Jamaica versus being like a black person, uh, born African-American sort of with culture. Um, and then also, you know, being in the Bronx and seeing some of the opportunities that a lot of the neighborhood kids weren't able to get access to. Um, a lot of, I remember when I was progressing into high school, my mom was so worried that I would end up on the wrong side of things. She was worried I might get caught up with the wrong people or I might end up getting pregnant or whatever have you, because so many of the girls in the neighborhood were teens with with pregnancies. And so I think, I think it was just, they were really, they just really wanted to see me succeed and wanted to do everything they could. And, um, at the time they were still living in the Bronx. So they just were like, okay, well, let's send her to Westchester instead of the Bronx. Let's try to, um, you know, mitigate some of these things that are going around. You know, New York was a very different place when I was growing up. I mean, it's, it's changed a lot. Um, but I mean, uh, yeah, it was a very different place. I mean, when I, when I was a kid, just to give you perspective, I wasn't allowed to go to Times Square because Times Square was full of prostitutes and pimps and things like that. I mean, this, this might be dating myself by telling you how old I am. By the way, I don't want to say my age, but <laughs> 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 caveats, um, <laughs> but you know, New York was, a, and, and I remember, I remember so vividly when I was in the sixth grade in at my prep school, there was a kid there who, uh, he was, he was having a party for all of us, the sixth graders. And you know, the, the, his parents invited all of us to sleep over. So it was going to be like, and the, you know, our entire class was maybe about 20 kids, you know, boys and girls, his, his parents had a loft in Soho. So I don't know if you're based in New York. I'm not sure where you're based, but Soho, New York is like double digit million dollar property. At that time, when I was in sixth grade, my mother was concerned about me spending the night in Soho because during those days, there were a lot of squatters in Soho. 
So it was still in transition, quote unquote transition. So, you know, New York was just a very different place. And, um, you know, I, I definitely saw those things up close and personal, like the disparities in wealth, the differences between me being, you know, Afro-Caribbean versus Afro-American and just all these different things. Um, and uh, I also found it very interesting. So just side note, but did you see The Get Down? I saw like one or two episodes and um, that Jaden Pinkett was in it, right? Um, no, I don't remember the names of the main characters, but a lot of them weren't like big ticket stars. The, the Get Down is just like the story of hip hop. It has the whole... No, sorry, Jaden Smith. Jaden Smith. The, no. He wasn't there? No, he, he wasn't in that one. It's okay. just like, it's, it's, it was yeah. like a show about hip hop in the Bronx, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I might have caught like one or two episodes, but I didn't watch the entire series. I was just curious. That's not really relevant. <laughs> yeah, but no it, worries. It, just, it, talked, it, it showed a lot of that the disparity, um, yeah. the lifestyles of black and brown folks living mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, and then it was also interesting because there's also a strong Latino community. So it's like yes, yes, exactly. so much, you know, New York is such a strong melting pot. You're just like, wow, okay, you're in it. <laughs> um, so you just kind of dedicated your life to the straight and narrow path, as it were. <laughs> yep, I sure Trying did. To do right by your parents. Yeah do stuff you were interested in um i also thought you might have seen the get down by the way because uh you did mention that you are an entertainment small business mm-hmm. trademark lawyer mm-hmm. uh, and you work specifically with music so i thought maybe yes. <laughs> you would have dabbled but um what was your experience like so you went you did all you did all the hard work you went to school you got your degrees um you worked for a couple of law firms and what was your experience like being a lawyer? Well, I became a lawyer at a very interesting time, um, right when there was the economic crisis in 2008. So I was, you know, there were opportunities to join law firms were put on hold. A lot of law firms had freezes for new hires because they were concerned about what was happening with the economy. So all of these opportunities, I was like, okay, great. I'm ready to get this job. Everything's going to be easy street. They just weren't there. And so I was like, you've got to be kidding me right now. I did not just put myself through all of this to come across this reception, this recession and have all of these law firms not hiring. And the best thing that they could offer me was for me to be an intern. And I'm like, what, what do you mean for me to be an intern? I'm not an intern. I'm a licensed attorney. I did not just do seven years of work and this 12-hour bar exam and God knows what else to finally get this accreditation to practice law. And you're telling me I got to be an intern. And at the time, I had, for whatever reason, worked my way to personal injury law as the area that I was doing, which is basically, you know, slip and fall, car accident law. Uh, it, just, it was just a random thing that kind of happened because I did really well in the classes in um, law school. And so I just ended up getting, um, you know, summer jobs in that area. And when I was going to them, they were telling me, oh, yeah, we, we can have you join the firm. But since we're not hiring, we don't have uh, flexibility on the payroll. You can just like volunteer. And I'm like, what? Huh? <laughs> so, volunteer? Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I just... I, I, 
I'll tell you the realest moment ever. I one of my safe one of my safe hiding spots, and this might be me sharing a little too much, is Barnes and Nobles. I love going to Barnes and Nobles and just getting lost with a stack of books in some corner on anything and everything. Yeah, and I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to stop you there because this is not that kind of show, ma'am. Okay. You don't oh, come on my yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Acting out. <laughs> Walling out. Wow. Okay. So I, I, I was feeling really defeated after one particular meeting with a law firm that told me the same, the same thing about how I got to be a volunteer. And I took myself to Barnes and Nobles and I just found myself by a panel and I just slid to the floor and I just started bawling my eyes out because I was like, what is going on? And I, I just allowed myself to cry for about two minutes, two, three minutes. And then I wiped my tears and I was like, I just all of a sudden had this moment of calmness and clarity. And it was like as if some sort of force was like, pick yourself up, go do this. You got this. And I just was like, I don't know how I just got in that moment. I was like, okay, if I'm going to be doing this for free and this really is my only option, then let me just go all the way out and do something that's going to be fun. And I just brought myself to the entertainment and music and theater and film section of Barnes and Nobles. I just started reading all the business books and I just was like, all right, well, that's it. I'm going to volunteer with the best entertainment attorney in town. If that's my only option, I'm going to learn how to run a business and I'm just going to strike out on my own. And I did exactly that. So I found an attorney who was one of the in-house attorneys for Sony Music. He did a lot of deals with Michael Jackson and like really super high-end musicians. uh, And I, I worked with him for about eight months. And there came a point during our engagement where I was handling all of the client conferences by myself, I was doing all the work and I was like, oh, so this is it, I, I've done this. And even though he wasn't able to pay me, I was able to see up close and personal what it's like to operate a law office. And I just started striking out on my own after that. You said that you were in Barnes and Nobles and you just got this like premonition. Was there, was there nothing in particular that came to mind that you can think of that was just like, okay, girl, we'll just push through? Because well, like was, this couldn't, this could not have been the first time that you had faced a challenge. This seems like it's something built into your mindset, into your approach to life. It might be. Um, you know, some people think that things don't affect me, whether it's something that happens with work or something that might happen on a personal thing. And it's not that things don't affect me. Everything affects me. But I think I can be, I can be resilient. I'm not the most resilient person, but I do think I have good mechanisms for dealing with resilience. And uh, I've gotten better with it over time because I understand that when something goes down, I need to honor that moment and honor that space and just let whatever feelings I'm having transpire and move through. And the more that I allow that process to happen and allow that to happen earlier, I've noticed, with me at least, is the quicker that I'm able to recover and rebound and get on to the next thing. So that's just sort of my personal 
approach to dealing with things when shit happens. <laughs> but like, where did that come from? Like, yes, <laughs> that, that is the formula, right? But like, how have you been able to practice that? How have you been able to embody that to make that a part of who you are? Oh my God. I don't, I really don't know how it is. I guess just having very strong role models in my family, my, my mom, my grandmother, oh my goodness, my grandmother. Like, I feel like if we were in like the middle of Jamaica in the bushes and like, like, like let's say that you, there was like a family dog and the dog was about to die, she would just be able to like operate on him and like save a life right there. She's just one of these women who could just do anything. Like, you know, when I was, when I was a little girl, like, staying over my grandmother's place like you know a door breaks a handle breaks she'll just go get the the lock put it in just she just does stuff she just doesn't sit around waiting for somebody to to save her so to say and I know that that can be a problem sometimes because then it's like if you really need help you know are you going to voice that to other people and that's honestly something that I can get better with but I just grew up with women who were just very self-sufficient and it was like okay it needs to be done and just go do it and it may not be easy, but you'll be able to figure it out. So. That is so gorgeous. <laughs> that is so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you. So Miss Mead is in New York. She has done the free work, but got the experience she needed. So then what? What what changed from there to open another chapter in your life after you got your business going? So there were a couple of things that happened some years into my career as being now uh, an entertainment trademark small business attorney with my all my own small firm. Um, my stepfather ended up developing leukemia, and that was a very big blow to my family, um, especially my mom. Like she just became very overwhelmed with the situation. Um, her and my stepfather were very, very close. And I know that as they were both aging, she was you know, worried about losing him. And she was also neglecting her own health and just taking care of him so much, you know? Um, so he was diagnosed with leukemia and he had to start a very rigorous um, uh, cancer treatment uh, with chemotherapy and a lot. So I just found myself having to now balance, you know, managing the, the family dynamics with that. And while that was going on, my boyfriend at the time, who I was starting to get very serious with, we ended up having a breakup that it was one of those things like this. From the woman, it came out of nowhere. You're like, what? Are you, are you for real? Are you kidding me? But now that I've had some time to think it over and I'm a little bit wiser in a situation like that, something like that, you know, usually the guy is not communicating some sort of, I guess you can say fatal aspect of the relationship that maybe they think will gloss over or end one day. Um, and it just, he just one day was like, I, I can't. And I, and I was like, what? But, but on my end, it was like, okay, everything's hunky dory. You know, here we are at, you know, a big, dinner with your entire family and everything seems great. And you're talking about our next vacation to Portugal and you know what I mean? And then it's like, you know, a couple of days later, it's like, no, you're like, what the fuck? Um, right. Yeah. And it also happened right before Memorial day weekend when we were all supposed, also supposed to be getting together with our friends. Um, at the time uh, we were both in Brooklyn 
So Memorial Day weekend comes up and everyone's like, hey, where are you guys? What's going on? And I just wanted to like just turn off my phone and go hide anywhere. <laughs> just not talk to people, not tell anybody what was going on. Um, and it just so happened that one of the things that I did to, uh, I guess, help sort of get the word out about my expertise in entertainment law was I affiliated with okplayer.com, which is a music cultural website that Questlove started. So I was writing some business and legal articles for them from time to time. And, you know, the editorial team that those became my peeps and they were doing their, their annual big concert in Philadelphia called the Roots Picnic. And that year, they, I, I'm pretty sure if I can remember, they had Solange and Janelle Monae perform that year. It's 2014. It was a really great show. And I wasn't planning to go at the time because I was going to stay back in New York with, you know, my boyfriend and my local friends. But then when this breakup happened, I was like, look, you guys, you still got that ticket for me? I'm coming out to Philly. So, um, you know, I end up going out to Philly. The concert's great. And instead of getting on a bus back to New York, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to get a hotel and stay out here for a couple days to just chill and um, gather myself and explore. And that was my first time in life ever doing something like that. I had never, for leisure reasons, just gotten a hotel in a new city and just say, hey, I want to wander around. And I know that Philly seems like a super mundane place to be, but it was I was just really excited to be out of my element. And discover a new place and you know what they things I want to do restaurants I wanted to see museums parks things like that the rocky stairs and um so I did the one thing that any normal person would do when you're typically in a city by yourself which is you contact your friend that you know and one of my very good friends from college she lived in Philly so I reached out to her for a text I was like hey I'm in Philly are you around but she was with her mom in Massachusetts and I was like oh okay so then I went to Facebook and I put up this status update because, you know, all of us have Facebook. I was like, hey, I'm in Philly. Anybody got friends of friends? You know, let's get together. Let's do something. And I ended up getting a whole bunch of messages in my Facebook inbox and people were connecting me to folks on text on the phone, but then trying to coordinate with people I've never met and people who weren't expecting to meet with me was just like an exercise in futility. I just ended up being on text for like two hours with folks who were like, Hey, today isn't good. But you know, when I get off work, you know, next week, you know, it's just like, okay, nobody, these people live here. They're not trying to do the things that I want to do. And they have their responsibilities. Nobody was expecting me to be in town like that. Right. So then I was like, all right, well, what else can I use? I went to meetup.com and they didn't really have a very well fleshed out meetup scene for people who were new in town. There was a lot of stuff like hey, come to this Harry Potter cosplay event. And I'm like, I don't want to go to cosplay for Harry Potter. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Right, why not? No, I'm joking. Much, <laughs> much love to the Harry Potter fans, but I'm just not into it or cosplay or, or there just really wasn't anything active. So I was like, all right, well, what else is there? And I'm just like, there's got to be something I could use. And I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, all right, I got Twitter. I got Instagram, LinkedIn, but I'm not about to go on LinkedIn and say, hey, who wants to go to the Philly Art Museum? <laughs> It's just not how you do it. So I had heard about this thing called Tinder and, you know, cause I was, I was in a relationship. So I was like, all right, well, I don't really want to date. This is the last thing that I want to do right now, actually. Cause I just had this breakup. I never knew anything about the platform. So I got on it 
and I start swiping and I get so many likes. I'm like, all right, everybody's, you know, thinking I'm cute. All right. Okay. This is fine. <laughs> and then I ended up getting this guy who swiped back on me and his name was Brian. And I was, sent him a text message on the app and I was like, Hey, you know, it's nice to meet you. I'm in Philly. I'm looking for folks to do stuff around town to sightsee. And his response to me was call me Chuck. I just want to fuck. And I, I, I <laughs> so then you gave him the address to your hotel. <laughs> uh, Tell and- the story now. And in that moment of him texting me, my mom texted me asking me if I was all right, because she knew that I was in Philly by myself. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I just closed the app. I went and I got some takeout, like within the block of my hotel. And I went back to my hotel room and I watched Netflix with Philly takeout because I just couldn't deal. And I was like, wow, that really sucks. And when I went back to New York, I was just thinking about this experience a lot because, you know, I I don't like partying with my money. (laughs) Very frugal, (laughs) you know? And um, I was like, wow, I was so ready to go out and like, you know, whip out that card, whip out that cash to just do stuff around town as a tourist, somebody new in town. And the only reason why I was precluded from doing that was because I couldn't find somebody to enjoy these things with me. But then I was also thinking like, but would you do this solo travel thing again? And at the same time, I was like, I absolutely would because I loved having that time to myself. And I loved having that independence to do things that I want. So I just kept thinking and thinking. I was like, is there a way to reconcile this some way or another to sort of have your cake and eat it too, to enjoy this freedom and independence, but be able to align your travel intentions with somebody without planning an entire trip with someone, especially somebody you don't know. And that's how I came up with eventually. And that's how I ended up where I am today. (laughs) And that's a long story. So 2014 was the first time that you had ever just gone somewhere by yourself. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, for in a leisure way, I mean, I'm, pretty sure I must have, I mean, I've done like small business trips, but you know, I wasn't really thinking about this unique Exploring problem in the way, that, mm-hmm. way that I did it. Yeah. So I, I got the idea in 2014. Um, then, uh, and that, so that was around May, 2014. Later that summer, my stepfather's uh, diagnosis progressed really badly. And along with that, my mother's, health started to decline. And by October of that year, both of my parents were sick. And by January or of the following year, so it was, I just, I, I had the idea in my head, but then I had to go back to my family stuff because they were just getting really sick and I still had my law practice. So I had this idea for, you know, eventually primarily as an app, but I was like, okay, I know nothing about tech. And I kind of got my hands full between my law practice and my parents. And by January of 2015, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So now I had both of my parents diagnosed with cancer, both of my parents doing chemo multiple times a week. And just everything was just like, just going crazy, you know, really, really crazy. Um, so 
then my, then my, you know, they both passed away. But prior to them both passing away, I was still working on eventually in between. Um, I did find some time before my mom got super close to her death to connect with some folks who were able to help me get eventually off the ground. And it was a nice distraction to have in between all of this drama that was happening. Um, and I just took things one step at a time. I first went to the most smartest people I knew in business who happened to have been three mentors of mine and I showed them my ideas for Adventurely. Um, and they all really, really liked it. And they all encouraged me to go on and they just said, you know, just keep learning, keep, you know, putting yourself out there and keep trying to find somebody to help you build this. Um, I found somebody to help me build this, who was my first co-founder. It didn't quite work out. Um, so I decided to keep pushing on. I found a new co-founder to join on and we were able to build out the site. So all in all, between everything, I didn't actually get the site up and live until January, 2016. So this wasn't a very linear experience. It, there was a lot of highs and lows and a lot of things going down. Um, yeah, and so January 2016, we got it up live for the first time. And so, so very sorry to hear about the passing of your parents. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I've also lost both of my parents, so. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. So you, you, you get it. Absolutely. Um, it was at a, a much younger age. My father, I was super young. I was like six years old when my father passed. And then my mother, it's been about 11 years. So, yeah, navigating the world without them is a thing. Yes, it's weird. And I, I don't know if that plays into the reason why I travel so much, but I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, I wonder if I travel this way because I don't know if I feel that sense of home anymore anywhere because they are not physically here anymore. I don't know. It might be for me at least certainly something to consider because it seemed like after they passed so uh you got your app up um around january, january 2016 um, by that time my mom so by so my father had already passed january 2016 was the the like when my mom started to get into a super aggressive state with the cancer she died four months later in april 2016 um so between January and April 2016, it was just like everything was like going on. Um, I had the app launch. I had my first trial. I had it was a copy, it was a copyright and breach of contract trial for this music publishing company. Um, you know, I was, it was just it was just so much to deal with at the time. Um, but um, I really kept trying. You know, one one particularly um, interesting moment was. I got accepted into this program called uh, Project Entrepreneur, and it was a startup competition that was created by the founders of RentTheRunway.com. So they were going to select 10 women entrepreneurs with their startups, and they were going to select three winners. They were going to get you know a $5,000 grant and all this support from Rent the Runway, and a lot of women applied, and I made it to the top 10 of this. And I was really hyped and excited for this because I had tried to start fundraising for eventually uh, through venture capital. And I just kept getting so many fast no's. It wasn't even funny. Like the, the VCs I was talking to, they just couldn't, 
say no faster off their tongue to roll off and tell me that. So I was super excited that I had this opportunity, but it was also happening in the month of April. You know, my mom died in the month of April. Um, and I just remember thinking, cause I was going back and forth from Manhattan to Brooklyn to Long Island. She was dealing, she was based in a hospital out in Long Island on a weekly basis, just back and forth. And I don't know how I held it all together between that. But I remember wanting so badly to let my mother know that I won this competition. And wouldn't you know, the morning of the competition where they had like AM New York and all of these big media publications and everything, wouldn't you know that that's the morning that I got the phone call that they're taking my mother off of all of the medication and they're just putting her on um, pain, pain relief because she's now in acute hospice care and she could go any minute. And they were also getting ready to put her on so many, um, I guess, drugs and starting a morphine drip that I had basically a few hours to get back to the hospital before she would be incoherent or just unable to communicate. And it was, I, I remember getting off the phone that morning and like shaking, like not knowing what to do because I had been dealing with all of this like press stuff with Rent the Runway and with Project Entrepreneur and, you know, the pitch competition was starting in like four hours and I was like, okay, I need to just just get it together, go out there and pitch like your life depended on it and just, you know, get to the hospital as soon as you can. Um, And I did just that. I went out on that stage and I literally pitched like my life depended on it, but it was really my mother's life that I wanted to dedicate that pitch to. And a lot of people came up to me afterwards and they were like, yo, Mita, what was up with you? You were like on a whole other level, like your energy, like you just brought it to a whole other level. And I was like, you had no idea how high the stakes were for that. And um, just a side note, out of these 10 women, three of them, one of myself included, were black. So I was like, okay, one of us is going to definitely win this competition. So there was me, there was the other two black women. One of them was an Harvard MBA and she developed this startup uh, for like AI with uh, skin color for um, matching clothes so that if you're, let's say a dark skinned black woman or whatever your skin tone is, you'd be able to easily find makeup and clothing that matches your skin tone while shopping online. And then the other black woman was a PhD who developed this like super cool um, uh, med tech startup for detecting sodium levels. And I'm like, okay, all of us are dope. And statistically speaking, at least one of us should win this competition since they're picking three people. And don't you know, none of us got chosen for that. So I, as soon as, as soon as they announced the winners for that, I quickly left and got on the next train to Long Island. And a lot of people thought that I was, they were, they were kind of surprised at how abruptly that I left, but it was because I didn't tell anybody what was going on. I was getting to the hospital so I can spend whatever last time with my mother before she was, you know, completely inebriated. Um, but I remember thinking on the train, I was like, wow, this system is so rigged. You've got to be kidding me. And you know, while those women who did win were talented, I mean, it's sort of the same situation where you can go to an all male, you can go to, imagine this was like men and women and you have three women and six men and three, three winners and all of them are men. I mean, I think as a woman, you would feel like, okay, this is not fair. Like what? So that was just sort of my feeling. And, um, 
yeah, so I, I went to the hospital. I was able to spend a few moments with my mother. Um, and I spent the next two weeks literally in that hospital switching shifts with my sister, morning and day shifts, while she died. And she died a slow, painful death over the next two weeks. What a story. Like, that is completely so full of emotions. Yeah. You have these ambitions inside you, and you have your support system, the the person that's been there. You had already lost your father, so mm -hmm. trying to this navigate that. What what helped you, if you can, like, recall? I think a lot of times when we go through these things, it's a blur. It's, like, so surreal. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, I, I liken it to your own personal tragedy, so you know the uh, Twin Towers. It's like that mm -hmm. is happening to you, but no one else, it's not happened for anyone else. And no one can feel what you're feeling as you're trying to go about your daily life because like capitalism doesn't let you rest. No. The bills so, got to get paid. Absolutely. And so how, how were you able to process? How were you able to navigate I just want to say, and, and you will understand this because you've lost your parents, but losing a parent is such a unique experience that I would not have able, I, there's no way I could understand what somebody is going through with this had I not gone through this experience myself. I had friends who had lost their parents and I would say things like, oh, you know, she's in a better place and not saying these things like, you know, this is just lip service because I don't really know what else to say and I don't know how to identify with what they're feeling. And I found myself going back to some of my friends who I knew who had lost a child or who had lost a parent and just apologizing to them and saying, listen, I didn't know how to best support you at this time. And it's not because I didn't want to, it's just because I couldn't understand just how extreme this situation is. Um, the, it, it, you know, it's the sort of thing the grieving process for me came in waves. I remember, you know, there was so much hoopla getting the funeral and this, that. And then when everything gets quiet and I have to go to sleep and I'm missing my mom and just like, where is she? And just like, like that first month after the funeral was like, that was, that was terrible. It was, it's it was, the worst. It was, it's it, not, it's it was, not when there's all the arrangements to make and all the affairs to settle. It's not then you have stuff to do. It's when it's like, okay. Yep. It's quiet now. <laughs> it's and quiet. I remember. I yes. And that first Christmas was the oh, worst. I mean, yes. I got invites for everybody to do something and I turned all of them down and I just didn't want to be around anyone. And what I ended up doing was I had found out. So in New York, we have a large Jewish population and it's sort of like a thing for the Jewish community on Christmas Eve to go out for Chinese food and then crash Christmas parties. <laughs> so um, I had heard out about, I had heard about this like Jewish Chinese food meetup. And I was like, this is so far from the norm for me for Christmas. And I'm going to be with a bunch of people that I don't know. And this is what I want to do. I want to do something that reminds me of absolutely nothing to do with how I would normally celebrate so, Christmas. And I met some lovely folks and I went into that, went home and I cried. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, it was, it was super tough dealing with that. And I think, I think the grieving process, it just comes in waves. You know, there's not a day that passes that I don't miss my parents, but I've learned to, 
deal with it better. I don't, I'm still grieving, but I don't think I'm acutely grieving anymore. But that acute grieving process definitely was for the first year super strong. And then the second year it started to get a little easier. So here I am now in year three and, and I feel that I'm no longer acutely grieving and that's me keeping it a hundred percent real. Yeah. It seems to like become your identity. It, it, it becomes a bit of a victimhood. It's something that's happened to you and um, mm-hmm. you see yourself as that. And then slowly you start to like regain yourself and yes. begin to function again. I don't think the grieving process ever ends personally, but yeah. you do, you have to find a reason. <laughs> you have to live a reason. Otherwise it takes you under, like it completely immobilizes you. And yeah, you, you begin mm-hmm. to understand why you do some of what you do more. Otherwise it could go south really bad. Oh yeah. You you see some people and I I think that the grief like never leaves their face and never leaves their spirit. Um but yeah. And that that's so that's so dope that you were able to go back and say the that to the people who had experienced loss because people don't know what to say. Uh I don't think that maybe it's like an American thing, but we mm-hmm. don't have these conversations enough for people to be equipped with what to say. They don't know how to hold space um, when it comes to that. And especially like something that all of us have been or will be affected by. Cause Mm -hmm. well, I mean, if we get to that point, sometimes parents lose us before we lose them. So there's that, but yeah. So I'm going to fast forward because I see that we've, we're nearing almost (laughs) talking and we haven't really talked that much about energy. So you, um, you, after that, you started traveling aggressively. So you went to Bulgaria, Colombia, Croatia, Mexico, Malta, Montenegro, Spain, and Turkey. And you said you needed to find the time to grieve um, emotionally, financially, and uh, relie- relieve some of that mental strain. Yes. So I, at the same time while this was happening, so my mom died April 2016, and then from April 2016 to the end of 2016, I, you know, I spent the first month um, just sort of after she died, just sort of taking it easy. So really from May to December, I went on a, an aggressive, um, I guess, um, fundraise for Adventurely, you know, talking with investors, trying to get money because we were pre-revenue. It was a free product. And no investor, well, not, well, yeah, basically no investors were interested in some social media type startup for women who were traveling, a lot of investors were looking at me like, oh, male investors were like, oh, so this is for women who can't get a partner? And I'm like, no, it's not for women who can't get a partner. They were like, oh, it's for unattractive women. Like just really snarky comments like that. And, you know, they just, they were like, why would a woman travel like that? And my wife wouldn't travel like that. And I'm like, well, your wife is a stay at home mom with four kids and she doesn't have a career. So she's not necessarily the type of woman that this product goes for. No shade to her. (laughs) I mean, that's not what I was saying, but that's pretty much what I was thinking. And I really had, and my finances were just sort of really a mess because I wasn't able to work as much because things with eventually was ramping up. And then I had lost so much time in the beginning of the year dealing with my mom's treatment and all of this that like, I was really uh, in, in a bad situation financially by the end of 2016. Um, I was able to get myself back up on my feet 
2017. I continued to, to fundraise even more till about halfway through 2017. And then I was like, I can't anymore. I just, I can't. And um, a friend had a wedding in Portugal that summer. And I was like, okay, this is super nice. I like it out here. And I think I need to just travel and just leave the States for a little bit. And when I got back, I just started to save some cash. And I was like, you know what? I've had enough in New York. I had enough of all this. Eventually, is just going to be suspended indefinitely. It's basically over, and I'm going to go travel. And I did that. So October 2017, I just started to travel. I mean, I was originally just like, okay, let me go to Mexico, Colombia, and Spain. And, you know, I have a feeling I'm going to end up in Spain. But then as I was traveling, I just didn't want to stop. I just became so thirsty to like see new places, see new cities and, and explore them. And I didn't expect to be doing this for a year, but I basically became a digital nomad for a year, going to eight countries. After a year of doing that, I found myself in Mexico last October and feeling so much better about myself and my life. I was like, all right, Mita, you did it. You didn't expect to have done this, but you went out there, you traveled, you feel better. What do you want to do now? What now? Do you want to? Because I had been doing like, you know, my legal work um, remotely. So I still had clients and stuff. Um, but I felt that I was ready to take on something more. And I was like, do you want to go back to Adventurely? And there was, there was no answer that I had other than a resounding yes. I was like, yes, now that I've been doing this for a year and in city to city, I feel that there's an even bigger need for this. I feel that the travel industry is ignoring this customer. I am this customer. I see this customer. I care about this customer and I want to advocate for them. <laughs> so everyone was like, Mita, you're crazy. You're going to do this again. You're like you, you like dead at that. Like almost two years ago, every investor told you, no, I was like, I know, but I have more clarity on this. I have more conviction on this. I have more passion. You know, this is not me, you know, working from a desk in New York and like, oh, I'm going to help solo Travis. Like, no, this is me in it, doing it, being my customer, identifying with their pain point, even that much more. And it just so happened that Backstage Capital, which is formed by Arlen Hamilton, uh, opened up their application process to apply to get into their accelerator. And I applied. And can I tell you, I brought it. Like, I brought it like 5 million trillion percent to that application process. It was a very rigorous process with three different levels of being grilled and, and being sort of analyzed and getting your due diligence. And I aced each single one. 1,900 startups applied. I was one of the 25 that got into the program, one of six that got into their LA, and we got a $100,000 investment to bring eventually back to life. And that's how eventually was able to relaunch this year and how I was able to get to speak to you today. So I know that's a lot of stories that I just shared, but that's sort of the short of it. And how has it been for you traveling as a black woman? Traveling as a black woman. I mean, I don't know how to explain this. Um, we're, we're viewed so differently in different places in our own country in different cities you know every city reacts every country reacts dif differently um, there were some places that I went to where people were genuinely kind and open and I didn't feel that 
they were doing it because they had some sort of agenda or or anything like that. But then there are other places that I went to where it's like, oh, why is this security coming out for no no reason at the airport? Or why are they grilling me for reasons just because they see a lot of stamps in my passport? Um, I remember one particular leg, I was in Bulgaria and making my way to Istanbul and they just couldn't understand why. They were like, what are you doing there? And I'm like, I'm going there because I want to go to Istanbul. <laughs> and they just, and it was, and it was coming to, you know, whether the way that it was presented to me, it just was presented in that suspicious. She's, she's a brown person. How is she able to do that? Something's wrong, you know? Um, and then there are some cities where you get a lot of attention or I've gotten a lot of attention. And, you know, for a few minutes, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm like the star of the show. But then it's like, oh, there's some sort of like uncomfortable fetish behind that, you know, and, you know, sort of like that thing where it's like, oh, they want to find out about you. And they're like, oh, what is your black skin like? What does your hair feel like? And can I touch and there's the conversations like that? And you're like, oh, God, this is what is it? But um, yeah, it's just it's just very interesting, and uh, and it's also interesting traveling as a woman too, because you know you come across some countries where you you immediately feel a strong sense of machismo, or you know someone like me is an anomaly because most of the women are just stay at home moms, and you know they're not going to have their own business or go strike out and do something on their own like this, or so it's just it's all very interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> what's the, what's it like to travel as a black woman? Well, I, I guess the, I guess the <laughs> question I guess the question is where. Um, I guess I, and I guess the answer is it depends on where you're traveling to. Um, uh, yeah, depends on where. <laughs> so, um, what song lyrics or poems uh, speak or poem speaks to you these days? Poetry. You know, I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really a poetry person. Um, I love business quotes though. I really love business quotes. Are you um, not a music person either? <laughs> I'm, I mean, obviously I'm a, I'm a music person. Not um, obviously. Sometimes we do things. Uh, <laughs> so true, is there a true, song, true. a song lyric or a song? I mean, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I don't know if there's a lyric per se. But I'll tell you the music that I always listen to when I'm working, and I work very long nights. It's either going to be Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, um, Sade, Promise, or it's going to be Prince, Sign of the Times. So I, that is my trifecta of music, Prince, Sade, <laughs> and Miles Davis. Um, I'll tell you one song that um, always, like, soothes me, um, Alice Coltrane. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's an instrumental song, Journey, and I'm going to pronounce it Sachinyata. It's just such a beautiful textured song that I can just lay down, put that on in my headphones and I'm just transformed to some other plane. <laughs> and it's just a really beautiful, complex song that I love. Can you please share um, some of your self-care practices? Self-care practice number one that I have is allowing myself to feel whatever I'm feeling. Um, me personally, I don't think it's does any justice to my head or my heart to disregard what I'm feeling. If I'm dealing with somebody on a personal level, on a business level, and let's say that something in an interaction rubbed me the wrong way, I'm going to confront myself with that and say, okay, 
why is that interaction bothering you? And what did you do to contribute to that? Or how am I <laughs> perceiving this or taking this for a negative way or some sort of way that I probably don't need to? Or let's say that I have some sort of situation that doesn't happen the way that I want to. I'm let down by something, maybe something at work, something at home, something with a friend. And I just give myself a chance to deal with it, to absorb it and let it pass. And that's, I know that a lot of people think, oh, I have a bubble bath and, you know, I go for a massage. But for me, self-care starts with managing my emotions, like how I described. And then also managing my time because I have to keep super busy trying to get this project off the ground. I still have some legal clients that I have to keep in touch with from projects from years behind. Um, and there's only but so much that I can do in a day. So I have to be very specific with how I'm going to spend that. And if I'm only going to have a little bit of wiggle time, wiggle room time for friends, I need to be very specific of who I'm sharing that time with, you know? Um, so self-care would be number two. And then, um, so handling my emotions, self-care. And then I guess number three would be honoring when I need a time out also, because, you know, just sometimes you just get so tired and I have, I usually am somebody who will push when I'm tired, but I do understand that when you do that, that has an effect on your health and your wellness. And I got to stay healthy. You know, I had two parents who, dealt with cancer. I've seen what it's like to get sick up close and, you know, I'm going to try to do the best that I can to maintain a healthy, happy body. So if I feel myself getting overworked or, you know, some joint is feeling achy or something like that, it's like, okay, you need to go lay down for a little bit. You need to go take care of your body, honor your body so that you can rest up and come back, you know, an hour later or the next day and be able to come that much harder and handle your business. Is there anything in particular that keeps you grounded? It keeps me grounded. I guess having a sense of purpose. Like I have a real, personally, I, I just feel like I want to be this advocate for solo travelers because it just really frustrates me to see sort of on a bigger scale how the travel industry ignores this customer because traditionally speaking, the travel industry has very specific profiles that they have always catered to. The number one being married couples going on their honeymoons. Then you have families who are you know, trying to go to Disney World and things like that. Then you have business travelers. Uh, then you have group travelers. And I'm just like, there are so many women out there who really just want that time to themselves to explore. And they have the means. They don't have you know, society rules that's preventing them from doing this. And this market deserves more attention and I want to be the biggest advocate out there for this market. And so just having that purpose that, that to get out of my bed, that, that purpose that's like, really can't wait to work on this tomorrow. Like that just, that just helps, that helps keep me grounded because I feel that I'm, I'm doing this for a community of, of customers that I want to help. And when you do, um, travel and you go to a new place is there any particular way you like to explore that place yeah I do like to go to the city center first because that sort of will just give me sort of the heart of what's going on um, so I do usually the city center day one uh, day two I kind of just take it easy and then I have 
day three and day four is when I start to go super heavy on visiting all of the museums and the restaurants and things like that. But I usually start with the city center first um, just to get acclimated. And I don't know, me personally, I, I, I kind of find it interesting when you land in a new destination, how sometimes the airports give a clue as to what you might expect in the city. <laughs> just the way the airports are run, just the tone and the experience. Um, like I remember thinking that, especially like the first time that I landed in South Korea, I was like, wow, everything is so pristine and just very organized. <laughs> I found a lot of South Korea to be like that. Um, it's it just, I don't know. It's just my little thing that I find. Mm-hmm. And let me ask, uh, currently, um, so you typically like to be based in a place and then you just kind of take trips from there, right? That's kind of your travel style? Um, so I'm a slow traveler, I guess you could say now. I typically spend a minimum of one month, uh, upwards of three to six months in a particular destination. Um, but I, I like to get acclimated very quickly when I arrive. Um, so um, I tend to do, so like if I'm going to spend a month in a destination, I tend to do the most sightseeing week, the first week and the last week. And then sort of the weeks in between is where I sort of take it easy and just, you know, cause then I also have to like catch up on work and stuff like that. Um, that's how I like to travel. And um, can you please tell us, tell the listeners how they can support your work? How you can support your work? Try out eventually. You know, we're still in a, we're in a public alpha right now. So that means alpha, meaning that it's the new first version that we're releasing. We're not using an app this time. We're using a website to kick it off because we just want to acclimate users back to the product before we progress to an app. The app will hopefully come out next year. But the website is getadventurely.com. Uh, you can sign up for a free account, so it's free to match. So what Adventurely does is it helps little travelers plan meetups one-on-one or in groups at tourist attractions around the world. Um, so it's free to create an account and to use in one destination. It's $10 a year for an all-city pass. Between now and the end of 2019, we can give you a free annual subscription if you use the code MEXICO in all caps. Um, and you can try it out and let me know what you think. Um, my email is Mita at getadventually.com and you guys can totally reach out and just let me know directly what you think. And, um, we know it's a little wonky, um, and that's okay. Um, but we're totally open to hearing all of your feedback so that we can improve and iterate and make it a better experience for everybody. Fabulous. And if you have any special offers for the Black Women Travel Podcast, let me know. And I'll be happy to put that in the show notes as well. Thank you. I want to thank you very much, Mita, for your time. Like you said, time is precious. Um, So thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and for taking the time to talk to other ladies so that they know that they can do what you do. Something you said in a Medium post that you wrote was really powerful to me. It said, uh, I have a note here that says the importance of persisting. And I think that that is a, a really interesting way to sum up a lot of your experiences, <laughs> your persistence. Yeah. You just keep going. And that, that's that's really inspiring, not just in an inspirational quote kind of way, but like as a lifestyle kind of way. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Oh, 
Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on this podcast. And, you know, to all the Black women out there, just I know society has their thoughts about us, but we got to keep our own thoughts to ourselves and our own beliefs to ourselves and not give up on ourselves and just keep doing what we do. And I hope you have wonderful travels. All right. Well, thank you. And you have a gorgeous day. All right. I'll talk to you later. Peace. Bye. Hey, um,